How about now? Let's do that all over again, all right, so that they can hear me. I will just replay the whole thing, saying good morning, everybody, and and good morning to you at home that uh, you tried to make a valiant effort to get here. The couch and the bed seems so much more appeasing than, uh, than coming here. Uh, we are in this series that kind of made this shift into going from the, 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 just doing different topics to we're just going to go start pow- powering through some of the books of the Bible. And uh, we're in Ephesians. Ephesians happens to be one of my favorite books of the Bible. And, uh, and, and, and so I kind of wanted to, um, this is kind of a good sp- starting point for me, but I want to tell you something is that this morning when I left the house, I packed up all my stuff in the bag, right? I, as I was grabbing, I grabbed my computer, I grabbed my iPad, I grabbed what I thought were my notes, didn't grab my notes. So, so, uh, we were listening to a song on the way over here. A couple weeks ago, we had a concert. We partnered with Journey Coffee up in uh, Vacaville. And a uh, young, young man trying to get a start in business, uh, his name was Peabody, did a song called Shoot from the Hip. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to shoot from the hip. That's what's going to happen. See, being that it's one of my favorite books of the Bible, I kind of know exactly where I wanted to go with it. And so if my fill-in-the-blanks don't make much sense to you, they will by the time we're done. How about that? No, I have those, so I have, I just said copy and paste. There we go. It worked out perfect. And so, but I, it, it, really, I did a lot of studying. It, and so more studying this week on 10 verses. So I was going to do the whole second chapter, but I got 10 verses in. And I said, oh, that's where we're stopping at. Because there is so much that's happening in this 10 verses of Ephesians. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 it's one of these things that it literally can offer a resurrection for your life, right? It's that we talk about this salvation by resurrection is the title of today's sermon, but, and that's what it is, is that this is what defines our salvation. That's where it comes from right here. And as he talks about it, he, he comes through and as Paul is sharing with us, he comes through and he says, you have been saved from death. You have been saved from death. So I just want to go backwards here for a second and tell you that last week we said that the, uh, the book of Ephesians was written in about 60 to 63 AD, and Paul happened to be chained up to a Roman guard on house arrest, right? And so we talked about this, and we go, who's really in prison at that point? Is it Paul that's in prison, or is it the Roman guard that's in prison? Because I can tell you right now, the Roman guard just wanted to sit there and do his eight hours and be on his way, right? You know, or his 12 hours. And Paul said, can I tell you about Jesus? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, just imagine if you were the guy that didn't want to hear about Jesus, and yet you were strapped to Paul, you were chained up to Paul for 12, 14 hours a day, you would probably walk away knowing more about Jesus than what most of us do. Right? You would walk away going, going I really, really could do without <laughs> so much of Jesus at this point. Because that's just how he was. I mean, because you imagine, because Paul had a way with words. And, and if he wrote this much, well, so I just want you to think about this. There's in, the, in the, the New Testament, we attribute 19 of the books to Paul, right? Just imagine how many of them were written that never made it into the Bible. Trust me, he wrote Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3. I, I guarantee that he wrote another letter to the, to the church in Ephesus. I guarantee that he wrote another letter to, to Colossae. I guarantee he wrote other letters. 
And so just, to, just think that he, that's all that, these, that the people were sitting there. And, and, and Ephesians here, in this particular place, he opens up and he goes, you've been saved from death. You've been saved from death. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. And it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now I want to stop there for one second. Transgressions and sins, back then, this here would have meant that you missed the mark. So this, it's, the, the word that they actually use here, I don't have my notes in front of it, but it's actually a, a Greek term that means that if you're shooting an arrow and you pull back, you miss the mark. It's the term that's actually used here. So if you think about it, anybody in here ever played darts? Have you played darts? Most of us, we go up, we try to aim for the bullseye, right? Isn't that what happens? Unless you're playing, you know, three and out. But if you're playing, if you're going and you're playing darts, you always try and get the bullseye. It's worth the most amount of points. The word that they use here between these transgressions and sins actually means to miss the mark. And, and when it says transgressions, it means to miss the mark. And sins means that you didn't even hit the target. Hey, you didn't even get close to the target. You just, you threw it and it hit the floor. Right? We, have, we see that happen with kids all the time. You know, kids... You, you, you know, I know people who play darts. They go in these dart leagues. They, they buy these darts that are... I, <laughs> I was talking to somebody. It's been a few years. It's been, it's, it, I should tell you, it's been like 20 years since I was hanging out in bars where people were hanging... That's where people play darts at them most of the time. They don't, they don't go and hang out in garages and do tournament play, but they do it in bars. And I was talking to a guy. This is 20 years ago. He goes, I paid $350 for that set of darts, and that didn't include the tips or the, or the flags, right? Or the, and I go... I go, $350? I said, do they fly any better? He's all, not really. <laughs> He's all, but they feel so comfortable in my hand. And I go, I guess that's all that matters. But here's the thing is that you, know, you would never let your kid throw those $350 darts. You know, I wouldn't be like, hey, Michael, come on over here. Let's practice with this guy's $350 darts and just try and see if you can hit the mark. Right? You want to be precision. You want to be good enough. If you're going to spend $350 on a set of darts, you're going to be good enough to where you can at least hit the bullseye every once in a while, right? You're, you're going to hit towards that. So think about you. You are God's $350 set of darts. He does not want you missing the mark, right? He doesn't want you missing the mark. In fact, when you get into this, Scripture tells you that you are priceless, that you are, you are worth infinitely more than anything else that is out there, and yet... God's trying to go, I want to have a relationship with you so you stop missing the mark. Stop missing the mark. Stop missing the bullseye. And it says, so as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And I want to stop there for a second again. So this word kingdom of the air... We, do we all know who he's referring to at this point? We're referring to Satan, we're referring to the devil, but there's a reason why in the same letter he refers to Satan at this particular point as kingdom of the air, but if you go to 427 and 611, he's referred to as the devil. And the reason why he's referred to as the kingdom of the air is because it's not somebody who's present here on this earth, right? It's a spiritual realm that we are fighting against. It's it's the, the realm that we, we can't physically touch, but we can feel, right? We can't physically touch it, but we can feel it. And it's those, the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those 
who are disobedient. Paul is really talking about this fallen state of humankind. It's really this fallen state of humankind. It, it really is this position to where we've gotten to, and it, it, he starts saying that look, we, we've, we've been listening to our own desires, we've been listening to our own wants, we've been following the, 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 the spirit realm has been telling us to go in this direction, and, and yet we continue to do this. And, and in, so in this case, we're dead. You, you're dead, separated from God. You know, and, and see, that's the thing that we forget is that when we separate ourselves from God, that we are seen as being dead in his eyes. Just like if you go back into Genesis, where we see the first sin take place in Genesis. See, here's what happens. God tells Adam and Eve, if you eat from that fruit, if you eat that tree, then you will, be di you will die. Surely you will perish, right? But the serpent comes down, has a conversation, convinces them that you won't die. But they eat of the tree, and surely they don't die immediately. But they do die. See, prior to them eating of the tree, they were going to eat of the tree of life. And they were going to continue to have life. It spoke nothing of death. It spoke nothing of pain and childbirth. It spoke nothing of that. They would just continue to go. They had two missions. One, to tend to the garden. Two, to be populating the world. That was their two missions. They, they had nothing else to go on. And so when they had that, they said that that's what caused the separation between them and God. And God cast them out of the, out, he cast them out of the garden, which separated them from him, and all of a sudden now we have this, this experience of death, not only a physical death, but a spiritual death at the same time. This is what Paul is referring to. He's fallen, this fallen state of humankind is really this, this position where we are experiencing this spiritual death that's happening. And here's what he says. He says, all of us, all of us have lived among them at one time, right? Gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Paul's actually saying, even me, even I did, even I went out and was and, and on this mission to gratify myself. He's not trying to say, hey, I'm perfect. You should do everything I said. You should move in this direction. He even comes on, he goes, no, look, look, I even did this to gratify my own needs, wants, and desires. And, and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so when he's coming here, and he's actually, so this letter was written after he wrote the letter to the Romans, and he anticipated that the letter of Romans would go out to others. So in Romans 6, verse 23, what do we see? Romans says, the nature of this wrath and for the wages of sin is what? Yeah. It should have been two different scriptures there, so it should have been one broken apart, but that's all right. We got them together. So for the wages of sin, so that's what he's telling us here. So as you go through and you read verse 3 of Ephesians, he's telling you, he's all, this is what the wages of our sin is. It's death. It's, and it's a spiritual death. Not a, not a physical death. No, you know, here's the thing. Paul's writing a letter to a group of people. You don't write letters to dead people, do you? Right? You don't write letters to people that are dead. You know, you don't write letters to people that... You know, you don't send it, you don't go, hey, courier, courier, take this over to Gravesite 2015 over on, you know, on, on Webster or whatever. You're, you're telling them, hey, we, we, 
We want to make sure that, so he's telling that there's still an opportunity here. You you should realize this. And so before, when you start to see this, when you look at where we're at, if our sin is deserving of death, Paul writes this letter so that way we see that our spiritual reality should lead us to this deep humility, right? We should start seeing this and go, I need to realize that I've been, I've been a sinner, I've been, I've been dead because of that, and I need to get to the place of being humble. Humble of what Jesus has done, humble of all these, of what's getting ready to happen. We should really get to this point where we're going, man, I, I, I need to get there. I, I, I just, I, I need to be I, I, almost in awe. I think that we've forgotten that Scripture is 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 awing when as you read it you're just like look at what you did jesus look at what you did god you're just in awe of it see we have forgotten that i played this video filled because that's kind of part of our problem right now We're, we're we're you know we're filled with so much other stuff whether it's tv whether it's the radio you know, and some of us, we're not listening just to, to secular music on the radio. We're listening to talk radio. And, and so, and if you guys don't know something, all that you are consuming, everything that you consume becomes part of you. All of it. So if you're listening to right-wing radio, you're going to become more and more right-wing the more you consume of it. You're going to get more and more angry and more and more. And if you're listening to left-wing radio... You're going to get more and more liberal. The more, the more you spend in it, the more that you listen to it, the more that you, that you, you're like, you're, if you, it's just perfect example. I, I, and, I, and I mean this in the nicest mean way possible. If you hang out with a whole bunch of people that are heading down the wrong path and you're hanging out with them on a regular basis, then guess what's path that you're heading down, right? So if you hang out with drug addicts and you're not a drug addict, but if you hang out with them a lot, guess what's going to happen? you're going to be a drug addict. I mean, it's just going to happen. There's not many other alternatives. You're not going to be there, hey, I'm here to save all of you guys. Come on, let's go. It doesn't work that way. It just does not work that way. You become who you hang out with. So if you hang out with millionaires, guess what? You should hang some, you're going to become a millionaire. Uh, by the way, you just listen, and you just listen for the morsels. Where are you investing at? Where are you at? Mm-hmm. I just want to listen. The more I hang out with you, the more I understand what I'm supposed to do, the more I understand the direction I'm supposed to go, the more I learn how to make money and not spend it. You became a millionaire because you weren't spending it every day. I mean, you just have to think about it. Who you hang out with is who you are like. So who are you hanging out with when you leave here to service today? Because I know that hanging out here, everybody's perfect. Ah, we go to small group together. We talk so well of one another. And then we walk outside the door and you go, did you see what he was wearing on stage today? Come on, he blended into the screen. What was wrong with him? <laughs> Woo. So anytime that you're reading scripture, so we're in verse four, right? So Ephesians two, verse four, anytime that you're reading scripture and you come up to this word and it says, but, right? But that means something big is getting ready to happen, by the way. But, see, God likes big butts. <laughs> and he cannot, cannot lie, right? There we go. Here it is. But, but here it is. It goes, but, but because, here's the big thing. Here it is. But because of his great love. 
But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Woo! So here, as you look at this, so Paul lays it out. He goes, hey, you were dead. Sins, your transgressions, you missed the mark, you were dead. And now, but because of his mercy and his love, God offers an appeal, right? Here's what happens. There is time for an appeal. It's the, that's what's coming up now. There's this time, and he says that I'm going, because of the mercy I have, I'm going to allow you to have another chance. I'm going to allow you to get back onto the path that you're supposed to be on, to stop wandering and stop being lost. Let's get back on the path. And it says in verse, we go to verse 5. He said, in this time, he said, but we are made alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Because of what Jesus has done and the mercy that God has bestowed upon us, we, are, we get to be made alive. We keep missing the mark. We, keep, we don't even get close to the target sometimes. We, we get thrown at the target and all of a sudden we end up out in left field. We start playing two different sports. Instead of playing darts or archery, we're not playing football or whatever it else is. And see, but even because... Even, even through all of that, because of God's mercy and what Jesus did for us, we still get to be made alive. See, this is why this is such a key and fundamental part of the Bible right here. This just, this 10 verses, this 10 verses is such a key because here's what he's saying. You were dead and all of our sins, it doesn't matter. So I always have to do this anytime I start talking about sins. Anybody in here? Just raise your hand with me. And if you're at home, just you can raise your hand. Nobody else is there with you, but that's okay. Uh, if, you, if you have ever stolen a pen, if you've ever stolen any item, raise a hand. And keep it up there. Don't, don't put it down, right? If you've ever told a white lie, raise a hand, right? So I got both hands up, right? Now, it could be that you're, hey, I'm 29, but really you're 44. You know, it could be one of those things. <laughs> you know, just one of those type of lies. So, you, so if you want to look around the room, everybody's got their hands up. And if you're at home, just go walk into the bathroom, look in the mirror, right? You go... <laughs> Oh, yeah, there it is, right? <laughs> okay, so I want you to know, and I want you to say this. You can just look at everybody and say, hey, welcome to the club. We're all sinners. That's all you got to do. Just put your hands down. <laughs> welcome to the club. We are all sinners. So here's the thing is that each one of us are sinners, so that means that we are separated and we are dead in God's eyes, except because of Christ we are made alive. It's, how much more fundamental is than, than anything else that you're going to read in Scripture is that, than that? And we're all Verses in. Four verses into this, and we, so, so often as we're reading the scripture, we like to graze over this. We're like, oh, I was dead. Now I'm alive. Next page. That's how it goes. We just blow through it. Because I can tell you right now, between these five lines of scripture that we just read, God is telling you something right now. God is telling you something right now. Not... The Holy Spirit is speaking to you individually right now. Not what I'm sharing with you, not what I'm trying to point you towards, but the Holy Spirit's telling you, maybe we should change some of the things we're doing and recognize that we have this path of salvation. We have this path of being made alive. Maybe we need to be moving in that direction. Maybe that's what we need to be doing. See, what we need to remember is that God makes the dead come to life. God makes the dead come to life. See, verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated him with us, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms 
in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Whole lot to say there is that he raised us up to sit at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of Jesus. And by the way, back then, when you hear that right hand, that right hand means to be your trusted partner, by the way. That's my right hand. So how many of you in here are right-handed? And if you're at home, maybe you're right-handed. How many, if you're right-handed, how difficult do you think it would be if somebody showed up and said, I'm taking your right hand, your trusted partner, right? Your trusted partner all of a sudden goes away. Now, what do you have to do? You have to learn how to deal with this thing. You're like, hey, wait a minute here. You're only good for holding nails, not swinging a hammer. You're only good for holding screws. You're not good for writing. I have to learn text to talk or something because this thing here, I don't even know if I could send a text message with this. I'd be like, mm, uh, uh, you know, this is my trusted partner. This is a, <laughs> is a foreign object. It's only familiar when I absolutely need it. This is my trusted partner. Now, if you're left-handed, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Everything is not made for you, right? You can't even get into a car unless you go to England and then you can drive you know, with your primary hand. But, but, and that's how it is. It's, see, everything is built upon people, the right hand. You, you kind of see that when you drive. It's built upon your right hand, the controls, all of that stuff. Right hand, not left hand. Everything is built upon your trusted partner. This is the same thing with Jesus. You are Jesus' trusted partner. You are the one that he's relying on here on earth. He's, he, you were raised to life not to continue to live in the way that you were living, but to continue to, but to, new in, to move into this new life and to be the right hand of doing the work of Jesus on earth now that he can't do it. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be ambassadors. We're called to be the eyes of Jesus. We're called to have the heart of Jesus. We're called to, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And here we are. We're still living back in verse 1. We continue to go, we read through verse 7, and then we go back to verse 1 and go, this is where I need to spend my time at. Because in verse 1, I continue to miss the mark, and we, then we live, and we live this cycle over and over again, never really getting past that. We have this recognition, and we go, oh yes, I was made to be alive again, but I'm going to go back and live within my sin some more. I, I'm going to tell you the story that my wife hates, hates it hates it. Some of you may hate it as well, but I think the analogy is so absolutely perfect. Here's the thing. Anybody ever had a two-year-old that you tried to change their diaper? Let's go back. Let's, let me, let's do a one-year-old. Maybe a two-year-old is a, you get a one-year-old and they come up to you and you go, ah, oh, you need a diaper change. And they look at you and they go, no. Right? And you're like, no, no, no. You smell like doo-doo. we got to fix this. No. And then what do they do? They start running around the house. You know, you're like chasing after him. Come here, come here. This is what God's doing with you. He's chasing after you. Come on, I want to get you out of the filth. I want to get you out of the funk. I want to get you out of the mess that you've been sitting in. And here you are, you're running from it. You're like, no, I can't do that. i got to go here, i got to go there. And then we even get to the point when he finally does catch up to us. And he's like, hey, I'm going to do this. And what do we do? We back up into it. We're like, mm-mm. And we get up against the wall. And what do we do? It ends up everywhere then. (laughs) 
our sins, our transgressions, it ends up everywhere. And it makes a complete mess of our lives. All God's been doing is going, I want to get you out of this. I want to get you out of this transgression. I want to get you out of missing the mark on a regular basis. And you're like, "Mm -mm, I want to rub it in. It's time to actually have this shift and it's time for us to start going, I'm ready to move past that. I'm ready to go, hey, I want this clean bill of, of life. You know, we go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says our sins are forgiven for those who believe in Jesus and who recognize that he rose from the grave. Right? It, and it, so here's what it says. John Wesley, did a, he did a sermon. This is uh, roughly 300 years ago. And it's called salvation by faith. And the line that's from this, it says, grace is the source, faith, the condition of salvation, right? Because of God's grace, you have the ability to be saved, but you have to have faith and you have to step into that and you have to move in that direction. Here's what it says in verse eight. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast, right? Nothing you can do to make it to where you'll be saved other than having faith. Now, here's what gets tricky. Can you have faith and say that Jesus is my, is my Savior and yet continue to live the way that you were living in the past, right? Isn't this where we have this fundamental discussion where we go, is it once saved, always saved? Is it you know, I, I can lose my salvation. I can have this, I can have that. And I, guess what? I'm going to tell you, I don't know. And I don't care. I'll just talk to you about it in heaven when we get there. But as you talk about this and as you look at it, I usually use the fundamental statement of going, well, if you didn't change your life, you probably were never saved. Right? You probably never had a real true experience with Jesus an encounter to where you actually started to, to go, I have faith. My life will change. Because it tells you in scripture and it says there's a spiritual manifestation that happens. Once you accept Jesus into your heart, your life changes. Your life changes. See, here's what John Wesley said. John Wesley said in that, in that sermon that he wrote 300 years ago, he said, number one, faith in Christ is more than a mental thing. It is a heartfelt belief. It is a heartfelt belief. Very, very, very important here. See, there's a difference in knowing Jesus and knowing Jesus. There's a difference. So, you were, as a kid, you were told, the stove is hot. In your brain, you're like, the stove is hot. I got it. But I still need to touch it. So now I know it's hot. Right? There's a, see, there's a, there's a mental way. I know that Jesus is king. I know that he's the king of kings. I know that he's Lord of lords. I know it. But do I know it? Do I live that way? Do I live with the fact that I go, I know the water is wet. I've experienced wet water. See, I have to know that. I have to know it here. And see, the problem is most of us with our mouths will speak, Jesus is Lord, but with our hearts will say, but Mike's how it goes. Jesus is Lord. He's king of my life, but I'm still running the show. I still control the curtains. I still do all of this. I still make it to where the lights go on and off. It's me that's in charge. That's not knowing Jesus. 
That's, that's like, hey, I know Jesus. He was born right around December 25th, by the way, which is a lie. Uh, you know, he was born to a virgin. He had this, he did this, he did that. Those are knowing, mental knowing. That doesn't mean you know him. So, number one, this is the first thing. If you're going to walk out of here today with a life change experience, this is the one that you have to have right here. Faith in Christ is more than a mental thing. It is a heart thing. This is where it's at. It starts here. You, you can't go, Jesus is Lord, and then go out and continue living the life that you were living before you walked in the door. You can't do that. You, you can't go in and be like, I'm going to complain about these things. I'm going I'm to be upset about this. You have to look and you have to go, well, God's using all things for my good. How is he using this for my good? How is he using this terrible situation I'm in for my good? How is he using this for my good? How is it that I can, how can I take this and learn from it and grow from it and become somebody that is an ambassador for Jesus to do the work that he's asked me to do so that nobody else has to live through the same situation I'm going through right now? That's how you have to be. You have to change your mental position of going, woe is me, to go, wow, look at what Jesus is doing. That's how you have to get. I, this last week as I was sitting there, and, I, and so, by the way, I turned off church for five days. If you called, I didn't answer. Just letting you know. That's how it was. I needed it. I needed to be able to go. I need to step away from this because I needed to realign my heart to what Jesus had in store for us. This is what Jesus wants, not what this church wants. Not what, not, so I got to tell you, I don't move, and I don't move in the direction of the attenders of the church. I move in the direction of what God tells me to do and which direction he asked me to go. Now, I recognize, and I go, I have to take the needs of the people that are here and account for that. But God has a plan for us. God has a direction for us. And without me listening for that, and without me just trying to be, I'm going to be busy, I'm going to be doing this, I'm going to be doing that, that means that I'm just believing that Christ is king rather than living as Christ is king. I have to move with the will of what Jesus asked me to do and what God has asked me to go, not just because the wind is blown this way or that way. What did Jesus ask me to do? That's the question for you. What did Jesus ask you to do? Jesus asked each one of you to do something. He gave each one of you. See, we, I talk about this often. I go, if you are still breathing and you have a heartbeat, then you are called to do something for God. He's asked you to do something. And yes, it's going to be hard because nothing that is worth anything is easy. Nothing that is worth anything is easy. Number two, this is what's important. A question was given to somebody. They said, how do you get to heaven? And they said, there's many ways to heaven. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I am the way, the truth, the light, and the way to heaven. Nobody comes to the Father through me. Christ's death is the only means of redemption. Christ's death is the only means of redemption. There's no other way to be redeemed other than through Christ's death, right? There's just no other way. You cannot be redeemed other than this. You know, and I know that, yes, that makes it controversial. But if you've read the Bible, you should understand it's controversial. Kind of borrow yours for a second. So here's the thing. This book has feel-good moments and has <laughs> the forget-you moments as well. <laughs> right? I was going to use a different word, but chose better of it. 
Here's the thing. Do you guys ever, have you ever read this portion right here? You just get out of side of, you get outside and you read Joshua through like 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Have you ever read that portion? Have you looked at this and said, man, God was ruthless. He said, Walk, go down there, wipe all of them out. And all of the spoils belong to me. Don't touch a single thing. I can't have any water? Nope, belongs to me. And what happens? He puts them into slavery because they took some gold. He's like, he's like one piece of gold. And he was like, oh, 40 years in slavery. Good job. That does not sound like a really like, I took one piece of candy, Dad. One piece of candy. Yep. Here you go, buddy. This doesn't sound like, when you look at this, and then you get into this other part, you get to this, you get after Psalms, and you get to this point of Songs of Solomon, and you're like, wait a minute here. When did the Bible become a sex book? Right? And then you start getting through and you start reading prophecy and you start reading about these things. You're like, wait a minute. Let's get... This book is a collection of books that you look through and you go, it tells a complete story of life, death, and everything in between. And, and I got to tell you, at the beginning, there's three chapters of perfection. And at the end, there's three chapters of perfection. In the midst of it, in the middle, it's God trying to solve the chaos that we as people create. That's what it is. And so as you start to look at this and you start to think about this, he continues to point to this. In the beginning in Genesis, he tells us, and, and he will stomp him out as a, on the serpent's head. And then we get that in Gen and Ephesians 1. He even comes right back to it and he says, and you will stomp out the devil with your foot. You just start to see this. You start to see how it's connected from Genesis all the way to Revelations. And you start to go, the redemption is interwoven all the way through it because of Christ's death. God starts making a plan in Genesis going, he tells his son right then, he goes, hey, we kind of knew this was going to happen. Right in Genesis 2, he's like, it'll be the right time, but I'm going to have to send you down there. And here it is 2,000 years later, all of a sudden he goes, and, and, <laughs> can you imagine the 400 years of silence where, where Jesus is going, is it the time now? And God's going, no, let them keep wondering. Let them keep wondering. And then he sends him down, and he sends him down not as a king, but as a servant, as a baby. He shows up, and he, but it's his death, that baby that grows to be 33 years old, it's his death that gives us redemption. That's the only way that it happens. It doesn't happen any other way, even though we want to put things in there. Like, oh, no, no, we did it because of this. We did it because we allowed this to happen. Or we did it because I was obedient to what God told me to do here. No, it all comes back. The only means of redemption is because of Christ's death. And the reason why is because we must totally Rely on the blood of Christ for atonement. He paid the price for us. He paid the price. He's the one that when you were showing up to the club, he was like, I don't know, I got that cover charge. Don't worry about it. Come on in. I took care of it. When, when you were trying to get into that place, or when you were trying to get into that, in that place, we're going to call it the, the pearly gates. When you show up to heaven, he's going to go, Christ is going to show up. And he goes, no, 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 I paid for that. Come on. He's in. She's in. No, no, they're, they're with me. And see, that's what we forget. We live our lives as if Jesus' blood being poured out on Calvary doesn't matter anything to us. We live our lives as that blood being shed and being dripped down the cross and washing away our sins just means that we get to sin some more. That's how we live our lives. That means that we get to live, instead of going, how do I live fully committed to Christ? We go, how do I live fully committed to me? How do I live fully committed to what I want to do? 
Here's what it says in verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is an important line here. This is, in fact, if you have your Bible, you need to underline this, highlight it, do it however you mark up your Bible, put a little flag out the side, come back to this. You have to look at this. God prepared you to do good works. He made you to do good works. Each and every one of you were prepared and made to do good works. In no place does it say that you should go and continue to live in the death and the sin and the transgressions that you were living in in the past. You should continue to try and strive to move into a new realm of living committed for Jesus. Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. This is where he's coming back. He brings us back to this. He goes, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Paul responds, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We've missed the mark. We've, we've continued to live outside of God's will for our life. We've done what we wanted to do. And yet... God sends Jesus to make a way for us to get back to the path of doing good works for him. Not so that we can continue to live in sin, not so we can continue to stew in it, not so we can get back up against the, the wall and, mm, I love my sin, don't change me. I want to sit in it. I want to stew in it. That's not what you really want. You, you know, <laughs> My, my son used to do this too. And actually, all three of my kids used to do this. There's, there's no way that, you know, you know, and I, and I, <laughs> now that I'm a grandfather, I go, yeah, I'm not going to change my kids' diapers. That's just my grandkids' diapers. That's just not, I, I got, I raised kids to do that, you know, and so, uh, but I'm sure that they do it as well, right? I'm sure of it. I'm sure that they want to sit in there. But when you ask them, because I've asked Michael, I'm like, man, dude, doesn't it feel better once we change you? He's like, uh huh. So why do you avoid it? He's like, because I don't want you to see my nakedness. See, that's the real problem right there. That's the absolute real problem for each one of us is that we don't want God to see our nakedness. We saw it in Genesis, right, where we ran when God showed up into the garden. We were like, he's here. But it's like Santa just dropped down. The, you know, it's like, he's here. What are we going to do? We got to go hide. And we went and hid because we were naked. And see, here's the thing is that God already knows our nakedness. He already knows the sins. He already knows the, the, he already knows the, the, the marks that we've missed. He already knows how often that we've not only missed the target, but we've hit something behind us. Like we threw the dart backwards for some reason, you know, and he's seen that. And yet here he's going, I want to clean you up and get you back on the right path and put you on the track that leads you to doing the work and leads you to the gates of heaven. So what he continues to ask you for. And you're like, uh-uh, I like it. No, you don't. No, you don't. You're just afraid. You're just afraid of just showing people who you really are. And you're afraid of God knowing the things that you've been hiding and lying to yourself about. You want to put on this, this amazing, I'm, I'm, this, this facade, this wall that everything is perfect. That's not. It's not perfect. It, it's all of us. We've already admitted to this, right? We all said that we were sinners. 
We all said we're broken. We all said that we're deserving of death. But Christ has made us alive. And so now it's time to move on from that. It's time to move on into a new direction. It's time to do what God has asked us to do. And it's time for us to just... All right, God, what would you have me do? Which direction would you have me go? How would you have me move? How would you have me love? How would you have me see with your eyes and feel with your heart and to love with the way that you would love with your hands? That's what we have to do. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to close in prayer here in a second. But I'm going to tell you, it may involve some difficult decisions that you may have to start making in your households. So here's the thing. We've allowed, the video I showed you at the beginning, being filled by social media, by the radio, by TV, by Instagram, by Facebook, by food, by whatever, right? Whatever. We've allowed all of those things in. We've allowed all of that in, and guess what? We've pushed out God, and we've pushed out Jesus, and we've pushed out our relationships, and we've pushed out our central faith that everything revolves around Jesus and we've made it to where, no, 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 everything revolves around me and we need to have this fundamental shift going back to, I need to start cutting away what is hurting me. What do I need to cut? Do I need to cut social media? Cut social media. Do I need to cut out TV? I, I want to tell you something. If you're watching more than two hours of TV a day, you're watching too much. You're not. Get productive. Pick up a book. You know, walk around for a little bit. Walk around your neighborhood and just say, hi neighbor, how are you doing? I know that we've never talked ever before but I'm your neighbor. Yes, we've lived next door to each other for 35 years. You know, and I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you. I have neighbors on both sides of me. I know the neighbors on this side. We literally never talk. Never ever. I go, hey, how are you doing? They look at me. Mm. And I go, okay. And then I have neighbors on this side. They're brand new neighbors. I went over and said hello, and they looked at me. And I go, I, what did I miss? Did I, did, 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 like, was there like a notice when you bought the house? Neighbors next door suck. And here you go. Like, I, I don't know what happened, you know? And so, but, but that's how it is. We don't actually, but see, the, the problem is, if you knew, anybody ever watched Leave it to Beaver? Anybody ever watched that? Now it's a whole make-believe show, right? Nobody ever had it like Leave it to Beaver, right? But did you see what would happen? If I needed sugar, I didn't have to go run to Walmart to go get it. I could go over to a neighbor's house and be like, hey, I need some sugar. <laughs> I, I'll replace it when I do go to Walmart. But can I get a cup of sugar? No, <laughs> I don't know you. Go away. That's how it is. But see, that's the problem is that when people moved into your neighborhood, they would used to show up and be like, hey, here's a pie. And you'd be like, are you trying to poison me? I just got here, man. Like, like, get to know me. But that's how we think now. But back then, they were like, oh, well, thank you. Come on in. Look at this wreck that we have here that we're moving into. It wasn't all about this perfection. It wasn't all about, hey, we had this facade. We mow the lawn. We keep everything nice on the outside. But on the inside, it's an utter wreck. Right? Things need to be cut. We need to start getting rid of stuff. We need to start... We need to start cleaning up our inside as we portray what the outside looks like. And a lot of that is getting rid of the things that have been toxic to us. So if you're listening to lots of right-wing radio, maybe tone it back some. Maybe half of the time you listen to the left-wing radio. That's just so you can make fun of it. I don't know, whatever. Or just so you can do the same thing with the right-wing radio. If you're one of these people that's all the, the, the most liberal person in the world, you should listen to what they have to say on, I, I think, one of those things. I don't even know who does it anymore, but I know because the guy who used to do it was really popular is dead. And so... Or just turn it off. How about that? Just turn it off. You know, and it's just, you know, I, I, <laughs> just start getting rid of the things. Cut. Cut. And then refocus back to Jesus. That's what we have to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for just these 
these 10 lines of scripture that, that can be so impactful, so changing, so, that so much that we can walk out and have this whole new salvation brought upon us because of a resurrection. Because of what you sent Jesus to do, we have this new life that's been given to us because we consistently miss the mark, but you have this grace and this mercy to continue to lift us up to do the work that you've asked us to do. Father, help us cut away the things that are preventing us from doing that work. Help us remove the negatives. Help us remove the whatever it is that we are investing so much time into that is preventing us from investing time with you. Father, we know that you have great things in store for us. We know that you have an amazing plan in store for each one of us in a direction that you've asked us to do. We are still alive and breathing and doing we're, we're here, so that means that we still have something to do for you. Father, help us see, help us discover our purpose, help us discover which direction we're supposed to go, and help us love like you love, and help us, help us act as you would act when you were here. Help us stay focused on you. It's in your son, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I, uh, I told you guys to cut away things if you're watching too much TV and you're, you know, all those things. If you happen to be retired, you can watch a little more TV than two hours. <laughs> but you know as well as I do, if you're retired, there's nothing really on there. So we should be doing something else anyway. You're just watching reruns of the things you saw 20 years ago when you were watching it new the first time. 